Hello and namaste, everyone. I am Dr. Ankur Patel, Chief Medical Officer, Tabula Rasa Healthcare, and the author of the book "Age Is Just a Number." Welcome to the episode of "Keep Up with Pace." I'm pleased to announce today's guest, Dr. Alan Sadowski. Dr. Sadowski is the senior vice president at Moore's Life Health System, a comprehensive senior care campus located in West Palm Beach, Florida. Moore's Life Health System has more than 2,000 employees providing daily care for 900 residents and 2,500 people in the community. Dr. Sadowski has administrative responsibility for the Moore's Life Home Care Division, which includes Palm Beach Pace, three sites, and fourth site in final planning stages. Palm Beach Hospice and Palliative Care, Home Care Service, Adult Day Care, Meals on Wheels, and Geriatric Care Management. The Home Care Division is now the largest single entity in the Morris Life Health System, having experienced more than 50-fold growth since Dr. Sadowski began his tenure in October of 2000. With the most recent budget exceeding 97 million, Dr. Sadowski is the past president of the Area Agency in Aging of Palm Beaches and Treasure Coast, serving a total of eight years on the board, and currently served as a board member of National Pace Association and Florida Pace Providers Association. He has lectured. At local, state, and national symposia on issues related to technology and aging, and policy issues related to helping frail seniors remain at home to avoid institutional care. Dr. Sadowski received his Bachelor's of Art at the University of Pennsylvania and his Master's and Doctorate degree in Social Welfare at the University of California, Los Angeles. Namaste, Alan, and welcome to the episode of Keep Up with Pace. Thank you very much. I love the mantra of Moore's Life. Moore's Life is more life. Tell us more about your Pace organization. Well, I've been at Moore's Life for almost 22 years, and we're not an organization that sits still. And we have a very robust strategic planning、uh, process that we do very routinely. And we're seeking for new ways to reach the community, and the concept of、um, exploring the feasibility of pace was part of our strategic plan in 2009. And like any good organization, once it reached the the、uh, the planning process, we hired a national consultant、um, to do that to explore. Whether or not it would be feasible given the current configuration of our services and staff, so we hired a company, and you know, Pace can actually provide up to 32 different types of services. It turns out that we were already providing 31 of them,、uh, everything、wow. but acute care, hospitals. That is so, amazing. So the consultant said, "If you can't do Pace, we don't know who can do it." So, <laughs> so we set about、um, you know putting the wheels in motion to. You know, look at the financial aspects of、uh, how much money it would take to to、uh, the restructure and、um, what kind of staffing we would need, and all of the all the things that go with a comprehensive strategic planning effort. 
And that was uh, 2010, 11. And uh, then we, we, you know, went about the process and we actually saw our first patient in November of 2013. That is uh, a cool story that you were always, uh, your organization was a forward-looking organization. So you started in the first PACE Center in 2013. How many PACE Centers you have now and what's your total census looks like? We have um, three sites. The fourth site is in the final stages of construction. A lot of things have to happen to the city and the county and the fire department do all that. But the you know the walls are up, the rooms are, the furniture is ready to be installed. So we're very we're very very close. Our most recent census is 690, and that includes almost two years of being flat because of COVID. Um, we're one of those sites. Uh, we never closed our doors during the pandemic. We had very limited clinic uh, access, and we continued to enroll. The reason that we were flat is because we had high rate of death, which is the most you know, common reason for people to disenroll. So we were yeah. enrolling and, and disenrolling 15, 16 people every month. I do uh. believe we're turning the corner now, and we should be back on that pretty meteoric rise that we've experienced in the last decade. Yeah, that is unfortunate what we are seeing on a disenrollment side from death. So even during the COVID, you were still able to continue with your enrollment process. It's more because of the disenrollment, your net growth was not high. Correct. And we we did some really interesting things during the pandemic. I mean, we're a comprehensive um, senior campus, so we have a large nursing home as part of our campus as well. And uh-huh. We were very concerned about bringing COVID into the nursing home. So we restricted sure. visitation, which was very traumatic for families. I know. We, yeah. we didn't allow volunteers. Uh, we ultimately issued um, a mandate that required uh, all of our staff to be vaccinated. And we lost close to 100 staff members for whatever reason, oh, decided wow. not to take the vaccine. Now, Probably twenty-five That's to tough. thirty have come back, but but we took a very hard line about uh, requiring the vaccine, uh, and we and we segmented the campuses on fifty-two acres. So we segmented the campus to prevent cross contamination. So, for example, we have a large home care division, and uh-huh. we didn't want people to, you know, for example, uh, be staffing in the skilled nursing facility, then work in pace outpatient and potentially bring COVID from one ven- venue to another. So we we segmented the, the campus, which resulted in a huge increase in overtime, but we felt that we had to err on the side of caution. So how did you handle the staffing management when 100 staff member resigned? We did a lot of things. That's a great question. First of all, we re-examined um, our pace structure and we wanted to make sure that we were considered one of the best places to work in South Florida. So we increased the wages of the direct care staff. Okay. Many staff were very intrigued by um, the opportunities for increased overtime. So we did that. Uh, we have also engaged in some, I think, truly uh, uh, creative approaches. For example, the western part of this county is an area marked by high crime, high unemployment, very high um, incidence of uh, AIDS and 
cardiac issues. And so we, we are in the middle now of an initiative where since we know we're going to continue to grow and we're going to continue to have a demand for jobs, we've mm-hmm. launched an initiative in that part of the community where we have engaged in a partnership with a local nurse training program. And we're training people. We're paying for them to be trained to be home health aides or CNAs or work in hospitality. Nice. And then we're paying mentors on this side um, to help them to make it through that first six months. We fe- We have, you know found through our own analysis that if they if they're able to survive through the first six months they're much more likely to become long-term employees uh we've gotten a lot of uh of receptivity from the political community Uh the educational community we have some some startup grants we have some philanthropists who are interested in helping with seed money so ultimately what we want to establish is like a farm system so we have a uh, ready pool of, of people from the local community who see this as a, a viable way out to a, a lifestyle that is economically depressed and entering the working world where there's opportunities for advancement and, uh, you know, a new career. Wow, I'm really amazed. What a creative way to handle this situation that can possibly help the community, create jobs in the community, serve the participants. And we know that. And you are absolutely right that in PACE and normally in senior care, the first six months is very important because I can totally see that the first six months, they are questioning that, you know, did I sign up for the right job? Yes. But once you are in pace for six months, I bet the satisfaction rate is higher. Well, it's yeah, it's, it's pace. It's all the different. We have 40 different you know portals that you could enter our campus for work. What happens is after six months, for example, uh-huh. we've learned one of the reasons people, for whatever reason, don't don't make it through their first you know, their early months is they feel lost in the system. Sure. You know, they, they don't know if their supervisor understands them, if they're contributing the way they're supposed to. So we've, we're working on a mentor system and we've made it, you know, we've also added an incentive for the mentors. So it becomes in their interest for a new worker to succeed. And when you're in a fairly large facility, we have 2,500 employees, it's easy uh-huh. to get lost. That's of part course. A. Part B, there are practical things. They may not have a reliable car or they may have a childcare issue, uh, a kid who's got chronic issues with health or something. Mm-hmm. So after a period of a few months, they develop networks. You know, I'll, I can kind of care for your kids a couple of days, you care for mine, or we can cost, we could carpool. Um, they become part of the family here and they come up with their own creative ways so that they can be a successful employee and not be terrified. The kid comes home and there's no one to watch them. You know, maybe they have a shared relationship with someone who's working yeah. a swing shift or something like that. And it really helps to have work buddies. That is amazing. So who are the mentors? Like it will be one of the example, like nurse manager or who are the mentors like? Probably someone not quite as high up on the totem pole, maybe a floor person could be an activity assistant, could be okay. a CNA or a home care worker, but someone who, by reputation, by experience, is someone that is a um, you know a logical leader. We, you know, we actually have within our system we have a 
a program called Morse Life Leadership Academy. Okay. That's a way, you know, in the, in the not-for-profit world, there's often not great succession planning. You're right. Our, our leadership is constantly looking for people who, you know, you see something special in the way, you know, anyone on the staff is approaching their work. That's the person who isn't going to leave at the end of the day until the work is done and or who the others look up to as, a, as someone who is a, you know, a real person of high moral character. So in our leadership academy, they get recommended through someone in management, middle management or executive management. Uh, They go through a 12-month program. They have assignments every month. They are assigned to uh, mentors within the organization. And it all culminates in a capstone presentation at the end of the uh, year they actually get a couple of days off. They're given a real-life assignment. Uh, uh-huh. They form teams. They are graded in terms of how, uh, how much teamwork they exhibited, the quality of their presentation, how quickly they understood the facts, uh, and how well they presented it to the executive team. We actually have cash awards for the winning team. And I can tell you in our own PACE organization, we probably have five managers who are graduates of the Morse Like Leadership Academy. Great example. That That is a very great example. So with the mentorship program, even like a, a, a floor staff have an opportunity to mentor uh, the new employees, and also they have a chance to make some extra money on top of their salary. Well, not just that. I think the culture is now that they want to get ahead. And by the way, I've, I've learned, you know, sometimes the hard way, not everybody wants to you know, progress in their career and take on more responsibility. But for those who do, they've kind of come to understand that one way to really move up in in this particular organization is impress someone, some manager and see if you can get into the Morse Life Leadership Academy because you will get recognized. And if you shine, you will get promoted. So have you noticed that, uh, the staff member or employees graduating from that academy has a, a better retention rate with Morse Life afterwards? At least in home care, I can't think of anyone who's graduated through that program who's still not with us. Wow, that is amazing. I think for the listener, uh, Alan, you already in the in the first half of the session, you gave like very good information. So this is something to think about what Alan just mentioned was one is, you know, they lost 100 employees and how they recovered from that using the community networks. Uh, the local nursing schools, training them, the leadership academy, and the mentorship program. I think this mentorship program is something that even I will carry forward uh, in my organization. So thank you for that information. I appreciate that. In our in our culture, you know, one of the dirty words that we hate is staffing agencies. We abhor them, and for lots of reasons. Number one. Yeah. They're, they're prohibitively expensive, especially now because of this yes. demand market. That's number one. But number two, which is probably even more important, is clinically, you lose continuity of care. So to yes. the degree that we can avoid staffing agencies, why not invest what we might have had to expend in staffing agencies in our own staff? We believe in them. It's really important to... Um, you know, to keep challenging people, you know, I, I share with the people who report directly to me uh-huh. that one of the most important jobs that you have is to 
you know, you're surrounding yourself with people who report to you. Absolutely. And your job is to keep them interested and motivated so they don't think about leaving. And money is important. You want to make sure that you pay them a, you know, more than a fair wage, but you also want to challenge them and you want to make sure that they're not bored and that you explore new things and you introduce new concepts. And just because you did it this way for five years doesn't mean that you have to do it for another five years. So absolutely, if you, if you keep the ideas fresh, people will work hard. I don't, I don't think, at least my experience is nobody here uh, seems to want to avoid hard work. They get paid well. Um, and they tend to, uh, to me, the biggest compliment is when they refriend, they refer friends and family to the program. We actually have several instances of friends and family are either employees because someone referred them or they're actually PACE participants because they believe so much in the program. I agree. So we have, uh, we're, we've been open for 40 years. In that 40 year period, we've had two, uh, CEOs. There are examples of in the highest level of the organization where people drove through the night to get their, a loved one from a, another facility, sometimes out of state, to bring them here for care. And so the wow. the thought is, if you don't feel comfortable with your own mother being in the program or being in the facility, then we have work to do. Caring. I, I absolutely that's the mantra I walk in every day. Caring, you know, to take care of your patients as you'll take care of your loved ones. And yes. Even the most difficult or challenging situation, you will come out of it. And and what you mentioned about the word of mouth referral is the best referral of whatever the surveys we do and what what response we get from the surveys, but when you are getting those word of mouth referrals, your employees and other participants actually referring their loved one. That's the ultimate price. Yep. And then all all these things you mentioned, and I'm just like curiosity wise, you know, either with, you know, all these things with with higher pay, all these things you are doing with the employee and everything. But how you were able to balance the budget? It's sort of an interesting phenomenon. We are not for profit. But we run very much like a business. I get a 30-page financial report every month on uh-huh. all the different areas that I have responsibility for. If there is a variance, I'm going to know about it. I, and I mean if the variance is positive or negative. It's my responsibility to understand that. Sure. We have an enormous uh, advantage in that we have a very involved board members. We have probably 160 people on the various boards we're really like nine entities, and they demonstrate their support in many ways. We have a number of extremely successful fundraisers. I'm blessed to live in a part of the world where there's a uh, fairly large uh, and successful donor base, mm-hmm. and and they're they're very grateful to the services that we provide. Great. But if you invest in the human capital portion of the operation, invariably, it comes back to help you. I agree. I think one thing that I already learned in our conversation is what always uh, Richard Branson says, you take care of the employees, they'll take care of your patients or they'll take care of your customers. In our case, you take care of your employees, they'll take care of our participants. It's very gratifying to me if I, you know, they don't know I'm like, listening in the hallway and I'll hear some employee say to another employee, 
we just don't do that here. That's not the way we do things here. Yeah. We have higher standards. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that is amazing that how you have put in this whole whole concept about culture and and that that is something that's I really appreciate uh, you sharing because it always reminds me of you know when when any employee is planning to leave their job and they think that grass is greener on the other side and I tell them that a lot of time grass is not greener on the other side grass is green where you water <laughs> that's a great that's a great quote I'll use that yeah and you are doing that. You know, we've had people, especially in the nursing areas, you know, the the hospitals, some of the competing staffing organizations, home, they're, they're offering huge sign-on bonuses and uh, different work hours, all that kind of good stuff. So we have lost some people because of that, but we've yeah. also had people, quite a few, who've left and they, they now won't come back and they say, um, you know, it's just not the same or... It was good for a while, but, you know, all they're interested in is in <clears throat> the bottom line. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that I have to my advantage is as a long-term uh, employee and someone, you know, you know, high up in the organization, I don't worry about I had a bad week or a bad month or a bad quarter. Uh-huh. We're a known quantity. And, you know, we are like, for example, when we opened Pace, you mentioned earlier in the introduction that I was the uh, chairman of the board of the uh, Area Agency on Aging. Mm-hmm. Well, for about a, mu- a year before we opened PACE, myself and the program director were going to meetings at the various area agency offices, getting them ready, telling them about it. You know, when we were going through site readiness and the state was coming to survey us and all that kind of good stuff, Mm -hmm. they were as excited as we were when we eventually got the okay to open. That proactive approach, yeah. And then when when we did open, they sent us some cases um, that were really complicated cases. I mean, they they were really essentially testing us. And our doctor and our staff took the stance that we are not going to say no. We may have some difficult cases. It actually may, you know, it's a marginal in terms of could they really live in the community, but we are going to prove to them that we are everything we say and more. And that turned out to be really, really helpful. We, um, I know I travel around the country. I see some of the other PACE programs and some of them have contentious relationships with the local area on agency. Our area on agency has been nothing but supportive since day one. And and we use that approach even throughout the enrollment process with um, the uh, agency for healthcare, when it was, when, when appropriate, the Department of um, Elder Affairs. We make it so that whenever we submit a piece of paper, uh-huh. it's it's in perfect condition. There's no boxes that are unchecked. If there's ever an issue, it's a high priority. We want to make it so that their job, which is to review all these different pieces of paper and endorse the enrollment, is made easy for them. And we, you know, again, we've adopted this culture that we will do everything we can on the front end Uh to help the organizations that we so, you know, desperately partner with as, as we go through the enrollment phase to make their jobs easy. So they don't have to worry about if they get something from us that something's missing because we've taken the the, the anxiety over uh, away from them about that. 
That's a good point you you made that that not like talking to our other colleagues all over the country, they actually do not have that good relationship with the local aging agency. So from your experience, what are the one or two tips you want to give us to our listener that they can build the relationship with the local agencies? How you did with yours? It's part of my uh, academic training, which is uh, you wouldn't tell because I'm talking so much today, but you really have to listen. And so when you go into these agencies, you really need to understand what drives them, what motivates them, what are their um, uh, obstacles, and then you work to overcome them. So for some of these, it's really just they're, they're inundated with paperwork. And it's, you know, PACE is a lot of work for not that many people. They don't, you know, get a phone call from someone from PACE and they say, oh, great. It's some this is the greatest thing in the world. But we may, we set out to win them over. And, you know, we wanted to understand what their biggest concerns were, what their biggest obstacles were, uh, what yes. some of the stresses are. And we did uh-huh. that with all the agencies. We did that with some of the um assisted living facilities, mm-hmm. the HUD housing facilities that, you know, are great referral sources. Uh-huh. So now they love the idea that they have a place to send some of their people during the day. Um, and they love the idea that they're helping. We, we also, we made the place um, visit friendly. You don't have to, and we invite people all the time, but uh-huh. we really truly want people to come and see what we do. Because when you come to the facility, it's just a wonderful experience. You know, you, you you come here in the morning, all morning long. I'm really in the van business now. We have a fleet of vans. Vans arrive all day long. People get off the bus. Mm-hmm. There's a chairlift. They walk in and they get a hug. So they come in Aww. and they're already feeling welcome. And we do that sort of metaphorically with the with the potential partners that we have, whether they be uh, assisted living facilities or even representatives from the state or the federal government. We just had a monitoring call today, and uh-huh. I we look at these as a it's like a like a midterm exam or a final exam. They're trying to monitor, you know, what it is that's happening within the organization operationally. We make sure that if they ask a question about a client, they're going to get our undivided attention, our statistics are checked and rechecked so that it, you know, everything that we send them is corroborated. And they, as a result of that, they look forward to it. It's not like, oh, gee, I have to call Palm Beach Pace and God knows what they're going to tell us about this data or that data. We're ready. And it shows. And they have told us that. They, they really enjoy coming here. They enjoy when they have phone calls and conference calls with us. And, you know, maybe it's just common courtesy, but it's also smart business. No, I agree. And I hope the listener can take this point away that how you can build a relationship with your local agency, because that is one of the keys uh, to success in in PACE and, and other senior care as well. So... Alan, most of the people of our colleague always talk about like that one of the challenges is even the agencies, local agency approves that, okay, this pay participants can join in pace on June the 13th, but now they have to wait till July 1st. Is that the same case in Florida? It is. There's some legislation so that you can actually enroll not just at the beginning of the month. My approach to this, there's things I can do something about and there's things that I can't. So yes. right now, that's the law. We don't we don't do retroactive enrollment. There are people and places that do that. And, you know, essentially they're taking on the responsibility um, without getting the reimbursement. And 
you know, from a uh, gap principles of accounting and our CFO's influence, that's not something that he feels we we can expose the organization to. Sure. But what we can do mm-hmm. is if someone, you know, all the approvals are in for the 13th, but they're not going to start until the 1st, uh-huh. we can do a lot to make that person feel welcome, visit them, call them, make sure that, you know, the day that they actually are enrolled, all their medicines, all the issues that they have about seeing this specialist or, the, or that specialist are taken care of. So they're essentially part of the family before the day of their official enrollment. That is a very, very good idea that even if you have to wait, just make them feel welcome. It's kind of like a pre-orientation. Yeah. And, there, you know, there's a social aspect of PACE, which is not to be discounted. And I, I point that out, like during the pandemic, we had to restrict numbers because of uh, the risk of, uh, you know, infection. And so there was a period of two to three weeks. We, we really closed for short periods of time relative to other providers uh, across the country. But if I could have captured on video some of our members when they, when they came to the center for the first time, having been out for three weeks or so, uh, yeah. they walk in, they get their hug, and they just start to cry. I mean, these are their friends. This is their family. And then uh, another example is, you know, for example, when we did our second site, we had, you know, we took all the names of the people in PACE. We looked at them. We put them on a map of the service area. So Uh everyone was on a a service area with a little flag. We drew a line in the the map. We said, okay, all these people north of this line will be in this site. All these people will be south of the line will be in the second site. Well, that was pretty naive thinking on our part because we didn't realize Uh that Mrs. Jones and Mr. Pepper were not going to be apart no matter where they lived. They looked forward to being with each other in that day room and they would come hell or high water. They weren't moving. So we quickly learned (laughs) that. You know, the geographic demarcation was essentially a suggestion. Yes. And we had to be very flexible about it um, because we've had people meet and pay. We've had staff members meet family members and get married. We've had clients become couples. I mean, it becomes a very social existence as well. Which is very important part of aging, socialization. Absolutely. And I think that's a beauty that Pace brings on the table. So- how many weeks? So just for two to three weeks now, is your PACE organization at full capacity when it comes to the day center? We, we're at full capacity. We still, you know, we just now had a, an outbreak in the last couple of weeks. Um, we have we have done remarkably well in terms of, um, I think, in terms of uh, the, the number of uh, COVID cases. But we also get a fair amount of referral from assisted living facilities in this community. We have contracts with 46 different facilities. They don't all have the same standards that we have. I and mean, we are, our nursing home, for example, is five star. Uh, there's uh-huh. something in Florida called the Gold Seal, which is less than 2% of the nursing homes. We have that. Wow. We're the only teaching nursing home in the state. So we have very high standards. We're five star and all of that. So we have very high standards, but we can't demand that all these assisted living facilities have the same standards that we have. So there have been periods of time when we had to quarantine mm-hmm. facilities. There were times when we couldn't accept uh, people coming into the, the daycare part of the program uh, from certain areas because of the quarantine. But 
what we've learned over the last couple of years is that it works best for our clients when we can interrupt the daily operations as minimally as possible. I mean, obviously, we want to protect people. Yeah. When you close a clinic or close a daycare program, there's lots of consequences that are usually negative. I mean, we see these people. We get to see for ourselves if there's any decline in function. Our drivers pick them up. Our drivers are trained to look for certain things as well. And that's a point I'll like try to tell um, our listeners too. That example that you mentioned, our drivers are trained to look for you know certain abnormalities, and and. For listeners who are not in pace yet or planning to get into pace, this is something the the heart of pace is our interdisciplinary team, that every member matters. Doctor is just one of the members on the team. And our drivers, our aides, we, they all are trained for little to look for signs and symptoms that can give us a pre-sign that patient is not looking good for you know some reason and needs to be seen by the provider. And that is one of the ways that how we prevent unnecessary ER and hospital admissions. Dr. Patel, I couldn't have said it more eloquently. And I've been around long enough that before PACE, I've been in interdisciplinary teams and everybody speaks and then the doctor says, that's all very interesting. This is what we're doing. Yeah. The doctors, at least our doctors, Uh are extremely respectful. They want to hear that, for example, a frail senior goes to a physician for chronic pain. This is not in a PACE program. That doctor may have no clue that there's an adult child in the home that's abusing medicine. Yes, you're right. We're going to know. We're going to know because... We're in that home. We see who's in that home. And we know if they're taking the medicine or if someone's taking the medicine. And so the driver who says, I saw some person on the front stoop when I went to pick up, you know, the client and he was nodding because he was, you know, he was high on medicine. You know, that, uh, that's something that we're going to know. And the other thing about yeah. PACE, which is so wonderful, is we have the ability to be creative. I use this as an example We had early on, we had a client who kept getting infected in her own home. She had a problem. I hope nobody's eating lunch, but she had a problem with vermin and lice (laughs) and all that. The way the current structure is with Medicare and Medicaid, there was nothing you could do about that. With PACE, we could make the decision. We we tented that home. We invested in that client's well-being. And that person hasn't been in the hospital in like three years. And before that, they were just routinely going, you know, cycling in and out of the hospital for these events. Their quality of life is better. The government and the taxpayers save money and everybody wins. Yeah. And it's the right thing to do. Absolutely. And that's where like a lot of time, you know, I'm talking to somebody who are not in pace. And when I say that about how strong our teams are and they'll be like, oh, we also have a multidisciplinary. I'm like, we call it interdisciplinary team, not multi, because we all interact and talk and listen, get feedback from each other. And that's how we make decisions. And and believe it or not, I always tell my other, you know, friends that taking care medically of the sickest patient is the most easiest job. Actually, what factors that comes and especially the social factors that's where the team brings the most value that helps me as a doctor to care for our patients. 
Right. And a good pace doctor like you, you know, have had the experience is a good listener. And they piece together all these different pieces. What I have found is pace becomes almost like um, a mission for people. We've had a number of people join our staff because they were relocating from one part of the country to another. Mm -hmm. And they knew about pace or they worked in a pace program. And what they wanted to do most was hook up with another PACE program because of what you just said. It's truly interactive. You see the results of your work. I mean, you know, the the clients become like family. I mean, I could tell you some stories that would that are so heartwarming. Sure, please. We love stories. Well, you know, we've had people during hurricanes. uh, Here we have an issue with hurricanes and some of our clients had nowhere to go and staff just took them in, you know, um, oh, wow. <laughs> because they were concerned about them. Yeah. You know, Pace is, um, I was at a conference uh, several years ago and the governor of Virginia was the keynote speaker. And he's, he started off his speech. He said, I have seen the future of healthcare," and I spell it P-A-C-E. Wow. I, I am frustrated because we have, I don't know, whatever the number is, 60,000, whatever the number they tell you from National Pace. I think pay should be available to half a million or a million people. I agree. It would save money. It is the least restrictive. Look, I'm involved with a very quality, high-end nursing home. Yes. The grounds are immaculate. It's high-end all the way through. Even so, people would prefer to stay in in home, age in place, and PACE does that. And when you go to the hospital, you know, PACE is geared to help people avoid going to the hospital or get them out once they go. You know, we have people going to the hospital and they get there and we get there at the same time. And we're talking about, you got to get them out. This is a bad place for them. Yeah. You know, right now, the way reimbursement is, if someone is in a hospital, yeah. they're really sick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, they go to the hospital, they come back, they now have pressure ulcers, they're, they're malnourished. You know, if someone gives them a tray of food, they place it down on the end of the bed, the person can't feed themselves or they're demented. They lose weight. They get psychotic. You know, we want, obviously, there's lots of accessions, but to the degree that we can avoid it, we want to get people out of the hospital or avoid the hospital entirely. And one of the the great things about the structure that we have here at Morse Life is that we have a fairly large nursing facility with a subacute step-down unit. And so Mm -hmm. we can frequently avoid hospitalization or get them out if they've had a surgery very quickly so that they don't spend much time there. Yeah, and is that also, that is a great example you are giving because a lot of time we can use those subacute facilities rather than hospital for those gray area admission. So do do you provide, do your doctors and other providers use this subacute facility for possibly like uh, early state COPD or CHF exacerbation? Yeah, and not only that, it's very effective because it's right here. So our medical director, can just walk 300 yards and he could see seven or eight people at once. He doesn't have to get in his car and drive all over town. No, that is, yeah, that is the key. And and to it's it's good to hear that you mentioned that in a keynote speaker, the governor of Virginia mentioned uh, pace. And this is one of the reason I started this podcast is to increase pace awareness. So to all the listeners, please share this podcast uh, to your colleagues, friends, family, whoever knows, because our, our goal is to increase pace awareness. Uh, so please do that. Uh, and to the story uh, of one of the, on my pace organization, when I used to be the medical director, that the daughter was in a different state 
did not want mother to move to that state because they didn't know if mother will get the same care. And guess what? We were in New Jersey. The daughter lived in Pennsylvania. My social worker looked it up. And they had a pay center actually in Pennsylvania in, in, and the daughter's home fell under the zip code. And we actually transferred that patient to another PACE program with a very hot sign out with exactly what needs to be done with the patient first of the month. Yeah, we've uh, Pennsylvania is a great example. I think there's 19 programs in Pennsylvania. You could drive to any program within less than an hour. Yes. So you know, in my fantasy world, that would happen where you'd be able to move people from one site to another. One of the issues that we deal with in South Florida is there are a lot of frail seniors. And when I say frail, I mean older than 85, lots of comorbidities, and they don't have any family here. They've outlived their friends, their families uh, in the Northeast, the public social service system. Forgive me, governors and elected officials, but it's not that sophisticated down here. And so we become their family. And the, the other thing is that there's an awful lot of gated communities. When you think of the term gated community, you think, uh-huh. especially if I say Palm Beach, you think of yeah. mansions. Yeah. But there are a yeah. lot of very um, extremely modest, even lower income communities that happen to have a gate at the front door. And once they lose the ability to drive, those gated communities become like prisons. They can't get out and people yeah. can't get in. So um, that's a particular issue that we have here in South Florida, that and the disconnectedness from their family members. We don't have, it's not typical someone has issues with uh, activities of daily living, they move in with their adult children. It happens, but it doesn't happen as frequently as it does in other parts of the country. Your organization is a very forward-looking organization. Where do you see PACE in the next 10 years? I think that PACE is going to gain more acceptability. And with that, from a social policy point of view, unignorable. I mean, my training, my love is really, you know, what I call macro issues, social policy issues. And when uh-huh. pace be- is, you know, is not even in every state and relatively small numbers, although 60,000 is nothing to sneeze at, once yeah. you get to a few hundred thousand or a half million people, uh-huh. it becomes, the sociologists talk about the tipping point, it will become part of the everyday vernacular People will know what PACE is. They'll demand to have PACE programs in their communities. The legislators and decision makers and the purse strings will understand that it's a good investment of dollars. Mm -hmm. One of the things that has happened as a result of the pandemic is I think we'll look back on this as the golden age of PACE. And I'll tell you why I think that. Uh Nursing homes is where a lot of people died. More than ever, people are trying to avoid long-term care facilities. There's always going to be a role for nursing homes, but I don't see a lot of people building nursing homes. It just doesn't make sense. But I do think that there's been a sea change in terms of home and community-based services. So more and more people are choosing to stay at home. For example, I mentioned earlier, we're, we're very involved now with getting our hospice program certified in a different way than it is now, which would give us total access to the community. But hospice care is 95% at home. Correct. So much of what we can do, you and I have had separate discussions about remote wireless technology and all the things that we yeah. can do to monitor people at home. So I do think, you know, in answer to your question about the crystal ball, I think there's going to be continued more movement 
away from institutional care into community-based care. And it's going to get better and better, and people are going to demand more and more standards. But I think that is where there's going to be significant growth. To that point, how can external vendors like Carevention Healthcare, remote patient monitoring companies can help your PACE organization grow? I think too often the people who are selling products are in the business of selling. They are not in the business of listening. They are typically telling you what it is that you need to do to manage you know, the people that you serve. If they could put as much time and effort into hearing what it is that are your needs, they would be well served and they would be much more successful. Because I think the, the people who have you know, direct experience in providing for this population, I mean, if you step back and you think about it, the business of PACE mm-hmm. is risk management. We are managing yeah. risk. Mm-hmm. We are insurance providers. We know every day what goes into our costs. We know where we're most vulnerable. We know how to invest. You know, I'll give you a perfect example. First full year of operation comes around Thanksgiving, and I got a lot of requests for increased home care. Mm -hmm. So I kept asking the question, has anything changed in the home? Has the client's needs changed? Do they need more hours? No, nothing's changed medically. So I was, you know, well, it doesn't make sense. There's no rationale. So we denied the the, uh, request for additional home care. So what happened during Thanksgiving week? The family members dropped their loved ones off in the emergency room and they had their Thanksgiving meals or they went out of town and did what they wanted. Uh, The next year, when they asked for additional home care for that two or three day period during Thanksgiving, we were a lot more sophisticated. uh We typically honored it and said, you know what? We're investing in that family. They need a break. We'll give them some respite. respite. We'll provide some more hours. So those people who've been around in the PACE community for a while, they know what they need. And the the vendors can tune into these folks and listen. And I think they would come up with better solutions. I agree. So to all the PACE vendors out there, I think one of the good lessons learned, be a good listener. So before, Alan, we go to the favorite part of my show, which is the rapid fire round, how can listener connect to you? We're not hard to find. We're, uh, our website is Morse Life, M-O-R-S-E, Life, one word, L-I-F-E, dot org, or Palm Beach Pace. Uh, and we have a pretty significant uh, presence on the internet. Okay, thank you. Now we are going into the rapid fire round where I will ask you five questions and you can answer in one to two sentences. No car for good answers, though, no. huh? No cars, no cars, but we will, we will wish you uh, a higher enrollment in PACE. All right, there you go. So you can grow. Okay, question one. What does failing means to you? One of the people who had the most influence on me was the chair of my doctoral committee. Mm-hmm. And she said to me once, if you're not failing at least three or four times a day, you're not trying hard enough. Good answer. So I'm not, a, I think one of the lessons I've learned is don't be afraid to fail. It's okay. Great. Describe pace in one sentence. Comprehensive. Great. If you had a magic wand, what is the one thing you would change about pace? I would change enrollment process to make it more accessible. Okay. Tell us one thing about 
Alan Sadowski that your PACE colleagues might not know? I, uh, I was a competitive fencer in college. Really? Alan, after this, we'll talk more about that. <laughs> One positive message for our listeners. I think that, you know, it's very helpful to try and understand why things are the way they are, because that will lead you into a strategy to help things get where you want them to be. Great. Well, on that note, uh, we are at time. Thank you, Alan, for being our guest. And it was a pleasure speaking with you. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Keep Up With Pace. We hope that you found the information shared valuable and I invite you to join us for the next episode. Keep Up With Pace is sponsored by Carevention Healthcare, a division of Tabula Rasa Healthcare. Carevention Healthcare provides comprehensive services and solution for Pace organization at every stage. For information about Carevention Healthcare, visit our website at carevenchenhc.com. See you in the next episode with a new guest. Until then, namaste and goodbye.